What a great church we have and so honored to be able to bring to you the word of the Lord this morning. Esther chapter 4 and verse 9. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called. There is one law of his to put him to death, except, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. How many of you know God's going to have a church? If it's not us, it's going to be somebody. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth? Who knoweth? Who knoweth? We don't, we don't have a 100% guarantee on this, but who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Our subject today is simply against all odds. Against all odds. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for the opportunity to look to your word. Thankful for the opportunity to gather with your people in your presence under the banner of your name. We pray you'd open our hearts and minds to receive your word, to speak forth your word with clarity and conviction, and let us be changed from the inside out in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We are a people, all of us as human beings, that play the odds every day whether we realize it or not. We take precautionary chances based on the law of averages and the likelihood of success. If something is highly unlikely, we dismiss it without a tremendous amount of analysis. We measure and we gauge constantly. Concrete thinkers measure differently than abstract thinkers do. Concrete thinkers see most everything in black and white. They don't live in the gray zone. They are concrete thinkers. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. This is my wife. She is a concrete thinker. She sees things black and white. She's been a great influence on me because I am not a concrete thinker. I am an abstract thinker. Now, concrete thinkers, they, if there's a, even a slim possibility of danger, you just don't do it, period. It doesn't take a lot of decision-making, a lot of stress to try to decide whether or not you should risk it. It's just it's not, not the right thing to do. You don't do it, period. Why would you risk your life? On the other hand, abstract thinkers, we see a lot more gray. And 
we gauge and measure and take calculated risks, many times they are not good risks. And our favorite answer is, it depends. We measure, we balance, we wrestle with the, the likelihood of all different possibilities. We look for a crack in the door and then we push on it. Now, you may not be an abstract thinker, but you may have a teenager who is. This was uh, revealed uh, a few years ago when my wife and I were meeting some friends up at uh, Jacksonville on a Monday night uh, football game with the Jaguars and Indianapolis Colts. And, and uh, we got there early and we parked in a little area that belonged to a bank across the street from the stadium. And my wife said, I don't think we're supposed to park here. And I said, I oh, will be fine. You know, everybody parks around the stadium and all. And, and uh, she said, yeah, but I think we saw a sign when we came through the parking lot that said you could be towed away if you parked here. And I'd say, well, that's probably just during bank hours. You know, everybody's going to go home. It's 5 o'clock. Nobody's going to be worried about, you know, I'm sure people park all around. We'll be fine. I should have listened to my wife. This is the beginning of the marriage seminar coming up here a couple of weeks. So we went to the game with our friends, and afterwards we all said goodbye. We all went to our cars. Except when I went to the spot where I had left my car, it was no longer in that spot. And so we were like, what happened to the car? My wife's like, um, I think he got towed. Now it's after midnight. I'm calling my friend saying, wait a second, don't leave. We've got to go find where this, you know, yard is that has our car. And so we go all down through Jacksonville and we go down and we finally find this place where the car is supposed to be. And they got like pit bulls racing around and you barking and, and there's a big fence and there's a chain and we're rattling the chain. And it looks like you could be murdered at any moment. And my wife is just like, I tried to tell him, I tried to tell him. But we finally got the car out, gave them their $200, and, and then uh, we, were, we were on our way. Only for several weeks, I, I had this thrown back up to me. Every time when I would go to park, and I would say, I think this is a fine spot. Do you remember what happened? 27 years ago? <laughs> and this is the problem with being an abstract thinker. Now, a lot of people that are abstract thinkers are, are trial lawyers, and you'll hear them say things like, is it possible that you really did not see that man sitting over there run into the store with the gun in his hand? And the witness says, oh, no, I know for sure that's him. But is it possible that you saw someone that looks similar to him, that has the same build and the, and the same hair color? No, it's not possible. Okay, just so I'm clear and just so this jury is clear, what you're saying is that there is no possibility that you're mistaken and that this is absolutely the man that you saw, even though it was dark, even though you didn't have on your glasses, even though it was over 100 yards away, even though his head was slightly turned. It's not possible it's not in the realm of possibility that you could be wrong as a witness is that what you're saying before this court now the witness has been put in a very difficult position at that moment because if the witness says that's exactly what i'm saying well that's incredulous then you lose credibility because almost always there's the slim possibility that something could be different than what you think so the witness calculates and says, well, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I don't thank you. No further questions. 
Well, wait, I want to fit no further questions. Now, the reason the attorney doesn't want any more to be said is because the attorney has not proven his case yet, but what he has done is open the door to the possibility that there could be an alternative explanation to where Johnny was on the night of September the 5th, 2012. All he was looking for was a slim possibility that there could possibly be a different explanation. Just to plant a seed of doubt. I used to always think that that was a, a flaw in our character that we could run with just a possibility. Because even though it's not probable, it's possible. Until the Lord gave me this message. And I realized instead of having a flaw in our character, it's actually a great blessing from the Lord. And all that quietness right there goes to show you why you came to church on a Sunday morning. Tell us, Pastor, how could that be? How could that be a positive thing? Well, you have to understand that many times God works in impossible situations. So that if everything is stacked against you, and it doesn't appear there's no way you're going to get out of this situation, all you've got to do is have just enough faith to say, but it's possible that God is going to turn this all around. And what the enemy meant for evil, God means it for good. And all your friends tell you, oh, yeah, but, you know, you don't want to start believing something like that and get your hopes all up because everything is stacked against you and there's no way that's going to happen and the doctors have already told you and the reports have already come in and your boss has already told you and the divorce court has already decided that you guys are better off apart. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And against all odds, a man or a woman can say, yes, but it's not over until God says it's over. And if all you've got is a possibility, ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you, it's enough. All God needs is somebody to say, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know where you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it. But I believe that you can make a way where there seems to be no way. And if all you've got is a possibility against all odds, God can do the work. Now, I'm going to ask you a a rhetorical question. How many of you are sitting in this church this morning against all odds? The very fact that you are in a church and that you are listening to a man with a microphone preach the Bible and that God saved you and filled you with his spirit. The very fact that you're here this morning and you're not swearing but you're saying bless the Lord oh my soul is against all odds. If the very fact that God delivered you and you're here today because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, come on, you ought to stand to your feet or lift your hands and say, I don't know how, I don't know why God did it, but against all odds, he saved me. I wasn't born in this. I wasn't raised in it. But God loved me. God saved me. 
Oh, I feel like preaching some faith this morning. I've come to tell you, it doesn't matter what everybody else says. What matters is what does God say? And God says, it's not over yet. Against all odds, he can heal the sick. Against all odds, he can save the lost. You may be seated. Job was a man who had experienced the longest, most difficult season of darkness that Scripture records. At the end of his proverbial rope, he noticed something that changed his perspective. We read about it in Job chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Job is sitting in his... Misery. He is sitting in his sickness, boils, scraping the scabs off of his boils, his skin, his family is destroyed, his wealth is gone, his health is totally compromised, and he's sitting on a heap of ashes and scarred and marred on every part of his body. And he looks and he sees a part of nature, and he sees something. He doesn't have a lot to go on. He doesn't know that he's going to be delivered. He doesn't know that God's going to restore everything to him tenfold. He's just living in his present circumstances. But yet in his heart, when the enemy tries to extinguish your hope and your joy, in your spirit, if you can just grab a hold of something and say, against all odds, God's going to rescue me. God's going to deliver me from this situation. Everybody else says it's not going to work, but I believe God's going to bring reconciliation to my family. Everybody else says that I'm going to die of cancer, but I believe that God says I can speak one word and the cells of your body can reverse their direction. I've come to tell you about a God that works in the realm of impossibilities. Job says, for there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old. That old tree been dead a long time. It's been cut down, and even the stump is all rotted and full of termites, laying on its side, been there a long time. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet. Oh, I'm going to tell you what, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you got to go through the word of God and you got to put a big red circle around the word yet because you serve a God that can create a U-turn. He can change the direction of where you're headed, what you're involved in. The diagnosis that you've received, I've come to tell you, it's not over yet. In spite of all of these circumstances, yet through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth bows like a plant. I mean, it doesn't have anything to go on. It's got a dead, dried, busted up stump. It's been in that condition a long time. It's been cut down. It ought not to live. But yet somehow, Job looks into that thing and he gets his inspiration. And he says, though everything is stacked against it, that thing, whatever, it can smell moisture in the air. It has picked up the scent of water. 
it's already responding to the dew that's in the air and it's going to create life though it's not connected to anything that should give it life against all odds new life starts to grow because it can smell life it can smell water sometimes you got to say i don't know how it's going to happen but i believe god's going to bring me through because i can smell it it's in the air it's in the atmosphere. Joy is coming. Deliverance is coming. Hope is coming. Woo! Hallelujah! I feel it. I see it. I know it. Come on, my answer's coming. Against all odds, God's going to show up. God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Everything is stacked against me. But God is a God that works against all odds. That's why you can't measure God. You can't put him under a microscope. 2 Peter 1.19 said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. <laughs> this is what drives the devil crazy. He's thrown everything at you that he can throw. And yet you got more confidence now than you did before. That God's going to make a way. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Where until you do well, that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. There's a, there's a sunrise that's coming. There's a star that's going to come and it's going to bring you clarity. But right now, you don't see that, and the shadows can create illusions, and, and darkness can have a way of sort of blurring the reality of your situation. There's coming a time when you're going to be able to look back and say, God brought me through that. But you may not be there. Right now, you're in darkness. But all you got is a sure word of prophecy that the Bible said the Lord committed to the church. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or its seed begging bread. That he is a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. And all I've got as I sit in my darkness is a word of prophecy. I've come to tell you that's enough. That's all you need is a word of prophecy to say I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm going to be victorious. God is my strength. Oh, you ought to clap your hands under the Lord. You ought to shout with the voice of triumph. Come on, I feel it. It's in the atmosphere. In the text, we read about a young Jewish lady named Esther who had been made queen of Media Persia Empire. Media Persia Empire was the most powerful nation in the world. It was a nation that had other, I think it was 127 other provinces that were under the Media Persia Empire. The Bible says it stretched from India all the way over to Ethiopia. And it was all under one empire. They had conquered the Babylonian Empire and they had conquered the Jewish people. And they had all the Jewish people. They lived in a little area called Shushan. And, and the Jewish people were definitely sub-citizens, if I can say it that way. They gave them a little area where they could live and dwell. They weren't necessarily in bondage and captivity as slaves as they were in Egypt. But they were still not able to be captains of their own ship, if I can say it that way. They were still under the hand of the media of Persians. They could change laws, make new laws, and they didn't really have a say in the matter. Well, the Jews were there. 
Not because of their own choosing. But they were there because they had been captured by the Babylonians. The Persians had captured the Babylonians. And so the Jews had been transferred over to the Media Persian Empire. There was a man who was the king of the Media Persian Empire, and his name was Ahasuerus. And he was a guy who um, was, I'm sure, as anybody would be in that position, a person that was very proud. And there, the Bible said there came a time when the, all, the, all the noble, all the noblemen, the people that were leaders of the other provinces, they all came and gathered together, and they all uh, came to sit in a big feast. And they would eat with the king, and they would drink and so forth. In the middle of all of that, uh, the king decides he wants his queen, Vashti, to come out. He's going to pray to her around like a trophy in front of all his buddies. And the queen's like, I'm not going out there. They're all a bunch of drunk men. I'm not going to go out there and walk all around. There's no way. I can't much blame her. So she said, forget you. Well, kings back then didn't really like being told forget you. I don't think they like it now. But she said, I'm not going out there. So the king said, all right, I'm all through with you. So he gets rid of Vashti, and then he puts out a decree in the land that he's looking for a new queen. They're going to have a big beauty pageant now. They're going to get a new queen. Well, there's a guy that's in the kingdom. He's Jewish. He's a guy that hangs around the gate. I don't know exactly what Mordecai was doing, but Mordecai was a guy who just kind of kept his ear to the ground, and he was always there around the gate that would go up to the palace grounds and all of Ahasuerus, and he would talk with people, and he kind of kept his ear, you know, listening. And there was a time when he found out two men were going to plot and kill the leader of Ahasuerus, and he told the necessary authorities, and they were able to sniff it out and get rid of those two guys before they assassinated the king. And, and they wrote it in the book, and they recorded it, but it kind of got lost amongst the stuff, and Mordecai was never really rewarded for it, but Mordecai still stayed around the area. Sometimes your faithfulness, it doesn't look like you're getting paid your due but you got to just keep on doing the right thing. You won't always be rewarded right away. Mordecai wasn't. Mordecai was cousin to Esther. Now, Esther had lost both of her parents when she was a very young girl. And Mordecai was her cousin, but Mordecai was a, much older than her. And so when she lost all of her family, Mordecai took her in, raised her almost like his daughter. And so... She was a very beautiful young lady, but as most young ladies don't feel like they're very beautiful. And, and Mordecai said, well, you know, they've got this new beauty pageant. You ought to go and put your name in there, a hat there, and see if you're more beautiful than anybody else. She's like, oh, come on, Mordecai. You know I'm not very beautiful. I, I just got a new zit on my nose. I'm so embarrassed. There's no way I could go. And he said, well, you ought to put your name in the hat, and you never know. And, you know, they may choose you. And wouldn't it be awesome as a Jewish girl that God would make you queen of the whole media Persian empire? Isn't that amazing? Look, this never can happen, Mordecai. I can't believe you're going to just embarrass me. I can't do it. Oh, no. And she'd run and hide or whatever. I can just imagine. The Bible doesn't say it, but I'm just using creative license. And so he did get her to, to, to go. And so she went, and the Lord gave her favor. And the king, you know, is like, I don't like her. I don't like that. And so he picks a whole group. But then the whole group he picks, he likes uh, Esther above all the others. So he makes her the queen. So now she's the queen little Jewish slave girl is now the queen. Now, I know we like all them Cinderella stories, but this is a real story. This is not Cinderella in the glass slipper. This actually happened. Against all odds. The king picks Esther. And so now Esther's the queen. And uh, she's getting all used to the lap of luxury, and they fluff her pillows, and they bring her, you know, good-smelling oils and stuff, and... And she's the queen, you know, and, and everything's going well, and it looks like everything's going good, and she's been put in this position. And no doubt, 
she becomes very accustomed to this, this luxurious lifestyle. Well, there's another guy that's in the kingdom. His name is Haman. And he belongs to the cabinet. He's one of these little shrivelly guys that hangs around the king, and he's always looking for a favor. He's always wanting somebody to say, what a good job you're doing. He's always wanting to you know, be acknowledged for being really something. And he's always, he's wants, he walks out into the street, and he wants everybody to bow down to him. Don't they know who I am? I'm in charge of whatever he was in charge of. He was one of the advisors and had a little pointy hat and big slippers. I can just see him walking all around the town. and He wants everybody to bow down to him. Well, Mordecai, I said, I ain't bowing down to you. And he got so upset about Mordecai because Mordecai was the guy hanging out at the gate. And, 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 and little Haman would come out there. I say little. I think he was little. He was little in character for sure. And he'd come out there just strutting and strutting. And he wanted Mordecai to just bow down. Oh, and everybody else would bow down, you know, because they didn't want their lives to be threatened. But Mordecai was like, I don't bow down to you. I don't bow down to nobody. I bow down to Jehovah God. That's the only one I bow down to. So Haman got so upset, he went home and told his wife, I can't believe it. There's a guy that's at the gate. He won't bow down to me. And she's like, well, just get the king to change the law. So he goes and he gets the king to change the law. He goes, the Jews have some laws that are uh, very much against our customs, and, and also the treasury is being depleted. And we need to have one day whenever the Medes and Persians can attack the Jews and take all of their possessions and their money and put it in the king's treasure and, and, and not let their laws contradict our laws. And, you know, he puts in a bunch of legalese and all that. And he puts it in front of the king and all that and probably got him drunk, you know, and all that. And he puts it out there and he says, now, king, we need you. Just, yeah, that's it. Just take the seal right there. Yeah. That, well, what's this about? Oh, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. Just take, these are the Jews. We're going to keep them in line, keep them in their place. And this is going to bring a lot of money into the treasure. You're going to be really happy. You know, and he's kind of picking up. I can just see he's got his... Okay, whatever, stamps it. I doubt he even read it. Then Haman comes out. Oh, he's so happy. He's got this law, you know. He's running all that. Oh, Mordecai, I was going to bow down now. In fact, I'm already playing. He started building the gallows that he was going to hang Mordecai from. And so down there in Shushan, they get worried about it all, you know. They got one of their little neighborhood community meetings, and they bring everybody together. They're like, hey, did you hear that there's a new law that's coming down, and they're going to all be able to take our stuff, and they can attack us, and we can't defend ourselves, and all of our laws are going to be subject to their laws, and and da 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 And they go through the whole thing, and they're like, this is going to be terrible. And Mordecai is over there listening. There's like, no way this is going to work. We're going to be wiped out. How did this law get passed? We didn't even know about it. And Mordecai leaves the meeting. He goes down there to the gate where he is, and he puts on his sackcloth and and ashes, and he starts wailing to the top of his "Ah!" He just starts wailing, and it creates a, quite a stir in the palace. And everybody's like, what's going on down there? And they go and tell Esther, we think it's your cousin out there, Mordecai. Well, what's he doing? He's wailing. Well, go ask him. Go find out what his problem is. So they go down there like, what's your deal? And he's like, tell Esther they got this law passed, and they're going to take all of our stuff. They're going to kill us all, and the Jews aren't going to survive. That We need her to go before the king. And so the message comes back, and... And, and Esther says, you got to go tell Mordecai. they got this little messenger boy running back and forth. you got to go tell Mordecai, I can't just go before the king. I haven't been there in 30 days. We can't just show up in front of the king because he could take our life. So he's got this scepter he can put forth and forgive us. Aren't you glad that's what the king of kings does for us? We didn't deserve to be in his presence today. But here we are because the Lord put forth a golden scepter, that big old little rod thing, golden laid thing that he put forth just... They're mine. They belong to me. And the queen says, I can't. If he doesn't extend that, you know, the guards will haul me off and I'll be dead and all that. And so she sends word back to Mordecai. Kai says, you go tell Esther this. You tell Esther. If she doesn't act on behalf of the Jewish people, 
her and her household are not going to be spared. God will raise up somebody else. But could it be that you were put in the kingdom for such a time as this? I can't say for sure. I'm not saying it's 100%. But is it possible that you were put in the kingdom for such a time as this? I want to say to this great church, is it possible that God has allowed this church to go through a pandemic? When I say this church, I'm talking about the church in America and all over the world. And people to feel like, and you can even feel it in our culture, that churches are just getting squished down. And they're saying one out of three churches will go out of business through this pandemic. But I've come to tell you, when you look in the word of God, there were many times that the Lord allowed the enemy to move into an ambush. The Egyptians, the Amalekites, the Syrians... uh, There were even the uh, Philistines. He made them think they were going to be victorious. And when they got down to ambush the children of God, God gave them the victory. I'm saying to you today, could it be that God has set up this world for the greatest revival? The greatest revival that this world has ever known. You say, preacher, that's against all odds. It may be, but that's the kind of God we see. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, he can make a way where there seems to be no way. Could it be that we were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? So Esther says, if I die, I die. She gets herself all fancied up, fixed up. She goes before the king. The king sees her coming. Did we call for Esther? No. And he just sees how beautiful she is. And part of him's like, she's not supposed to come without being beckoned. But then there's part of his heart that just melts. Like a big old puppy dog. I want to think that's the way the Lord is when he sees the church. People that stand for righteousness in a world of unrighteousness. And the Lord gets ready to judge and then he sees the church. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. You're the salt of the earth. The salt is a preservation. What do you want, Esther? I just want you to come to a a feast I'm preparing. I got grandma's recipe and I'm making a big feast. I want you to come. I'd be happy to come. And little old Haman, little old snivelly, rivelly Haman sitting over there. I can just see him. Yes, Haman, we want you to come too. Oh. He's so excited. He goes and finds new apparel to wear. He's so happy. Meanwhile, King Ahasuerus can't sleep one night. He says, bring all them old laws out. My Lord, when I read them things, I fall asleep. Bring them out here. They start reading the law. And thus saith in the king of the year of so-and-so begat so-and-so. You know, it's working. A man by the name of Mordecai saved your life. Wait just a second. Did you say somebody named Mordecai saved my life? Yeah, he told you about them two guys, you know, that were supposed to, they were plotting to kill you and, and uh, he, he told us, 
Have we rewarded him? Let's see down here. Rewards. Um, gave Haman that, gave that one, that one. Sent him on vacation. He went on a cruise. No. Mordecai didn't get anything. We've got to do something for Mordecai. So the next day in the cabinet meeting, he says to his cabinet, you know, we've got a man that I want to honor. Haman, what do you think I ought to do about a, a person that I really want to honor in the kingdom and a, a person I want to show the whole group that we really, the king, he has found great favor in the eyes of the king. And what should we do? And Haman said, they're going, <laughs> I mean, he immediately, little narcissistic self, thought it was all about him. Well, king, what I would do is put him on your best stallion and have some guy go before holding the rope and saying, this is what happens to a man in whom has found favor in the king's eyes. And put your robe on him and parade him all around the neighborhood. Take him down Main Street and Elm Street and around by Maple Street and bring him all around. Bring him all back to the kingdom and let the whole place see that this man has found favor in your sight. And he smiles with his best political grin. And the king's like, wonderful, that's awesome. Thank you, old king. Just something I came up with. Said, that's what I want to do to Mordecai. To who? You know the guy that's at the gate, you know, that sits out? Yeah. You want to honor him? Yes. And I want you to be the guy to lead the horse around and holler. You got to love the way God operates. Come on, what the devil meant for evil, God said, I'll turn around and make it for good. The devil's thrown everything he could at you to try to humiliate you in front of your friends and your co-workers. But I've come to tell you, in the end, God has the final say. Against all odds, God's going to do the work. This is a man. I can just see Haman. This is the man. Right on. This is the man. And the king is wrong. Great. And the only thing that would encourage him is he would think about, but I get to go to Queen Esther's party. I bet Mordecai I ain't invited to that party. This is done. Takes them all around, gets them back to the palace. Mordecai gets off the horse. This is before COVID when you could shake hands. <laughs> Thank you, Haman. Thanks for doing that. Uh, whatever. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be depressed about it. I'm going to a party. I'm going to put on my happy face. He goes home. He's all discouraged, complains to his wife again. His wife said, what are you worried about? You got a big party? Come on, we got your suit. We're going to get you all fixed up, put dippity-doo in your hair. You're going to be something special. Come on, let's go. She gets them all fixed up, and they go down there. Okay. And they go down there. They got this big feast. And Esther's there arrayed in all her beauty. And the king comes over and says, Esther, what did you really want? Why are we all here? She says, oh, king, I've never told you this. 
but I'm a Jewish girl. I don't deserve to be here. There's a new law that all of my people are going to be destroyed and everything taken from them. And, oh, king, my people will not survive. Only you can amend that law. I passed a law like that? That doesn't sound like me. He calls for all of his little people with their little pads and little bean counters, and everybody comes running. Did I make a law? The Jews? Well, yeah, this one time. Who had me? What? How? It was Haman. Haman sitting over there going, oh. Oh, me? Scooby? So cocky, he'd already built gallows that Mordecai was going to hang from. He was already plotting the death. And Esther says, Haman was the man that wants my people to be destroyed. And the king says, Haman, you're going to hang from the very gallows that you built for Mordecai. And little old Haman's all over there with his knees shaking. The devil tries to intimidate you, folks. Somebody said this, I think it's so true. When the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. Mm. He's going to end up in a lake of fire. I know right now he's running all around trying to flex his muscles, but in the end, against all odds, the King of Kings is going to be glorified. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Would you stand to your feet? Everything the enemy meant to destroy you with is going to be turned on his head. You say, Pastor, I don't see it. Sometimes all you've got is a possibility. Doctors tell you the likelihood of survival is slim. Cancer has invaded your body, but you know the Lord can heal. All you've got is a possibility. In Matthew 19, Jesus told his followers, when men say it's impossible, you better remember with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Jonah, I know you think Nineveh is so wicked that there's hardly a chance that they would ever repent. But who knows what they will do when you preach that their city is going to be destroyed if they don't repent. Jonah, the most reluctant evangelist in the history of preachers, goes to Nineveh after being swallowed by a great fish, has no interest in these people being saved. Nineveh, the capital of Syria, the most wicked people on the face of the earth, and their only hope is a preacher that doesn't want to be there. He wanders the city streets. Repent. Repent, 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 repent. I mean, he didn't even work at it. He considered it all a waste of time. If you don't repent, the whole place is going to be destroyed by fire. Say what? 
I could hear I couldn't hear you. What were you saying? What's your name again? Where are you from? Jonah. What are you doing here? Repent. If you don't repent, you're gonna be destroyed by fire. Well, I don't believe I don't believe I don't believe in myself. But anyhow, that's gonna happen. I don't care. We'll do what you want to do. What were the odds that this place was gonna repent? The king gets word. There's some guy down there wandering around the streets and he's saying if we don't repent, God's gonna destroy this place. Really? Yeah. Well, we better fast and pray. In fact, let's put all the animals on a fast. They put all the animals on a fast. Some cow on there. He didn't even have a choice in the matter. They put all the animals on a fast. They all got on their face. God, we don't even know your name. But don't destroy us. God looks down and says, they're repenting. Jonah, I can't destroy them. They've all repented. Here's here's Jonah. You think Jonah would jump up and down, greatest revival ever. Here's where Jonah goes, I knew it. you are a merciful God everything is stacked against you he's a God that can work against all the realms of possibilities and he can do the impossible work how can it be Folks, the Bible says his ways are above our ways. You know, the enemy tries to talk you out of repenting. He reminds you of all that you've done, tries to talk you out of baptism, tried to talk you out of even coming to church this morning, reminds you of the week that you've had, mistakes that you've made. But you came anyhow, and you're here this morning against all odds and I tell you you've come to the right place you've come to the right place because though we don't deserve it it's just possible that God will hear me it's just possible that God will heal me and who knows Oh, I feel faith in this house. Who knows? Doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter what your prior experience is. Who knows? But that God will not hear my cry. When he does, folks, he will do a work that nobody can predict, that nobody can explain. You're going to come forth as gold. You're going to come forth as gold. I close with this. There was a time when the disciples prayed and for a boy that was possessed and nothing happened. And the Lord prayed for him and, and he was healed. And privately, the disciples asked him and said, how come when we prayed, nothing happened when you prayed? 
the boy was delivered. And he said, these things cometh not but by prayer and fasting. Then he says this, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. just believe that all things are possible I've come to tell you today there's no dead end situations there's nobody that's gone too far but that God can change the direction and I want to leave you with this because this is what I feel like the Lord put in my spirit possibility becomes a probability when it's mixed with prayer and fasting. What may just be a possibility becomes a probability when we mix it with prayer and fasting. And then, my friend, it knows no limits. It knows no limits. (laughs) With men, it's impossible, but with God, all are possible I refuse to believe anymore people say oh if he gets COVID-19 or she gets COVID-19 they're just not going to make it I don't know that they would ever make it and there's been times I felt myself saying oh yeah that's probably true but I reject that in the name of Jesus Christ I'm saying with God, all things are possible. If you've got COVID, if you've got cancer, if you've got sin, everybody's got sin. You can be delivered by the power of the name of Jesus. Ailey called me up and she said, Pastor, she was crying on the phone several weeks ago. She said, my mother's 99 years old. And she's in a nursing home here in Melbourne. She's just been diagnosed with cancer. Not with cancer, with COVID. She's 99 years old in a nursing home. And she's got COVID-19. And she said she's not going to make it. And I said, Judy, you don't know that. Could it be? Pastor, I've taught her a Bible study. I've tried to be a witness. I've done everything I know to do. That lady, 99 years old, beat COVID. They said she's free. 99 years old. I've come to tell you, don't let the devil ever talk you out of a miracle. Could it be that God is going to do a mighty work? Could it be that God is going to deliver to the uttermost? Here's what I want you to do. Everybody across this building, would you raise your hands right now? Would you close your eyes? And I wonder right now if you would pray and say, Lord, increase my faith to believe for the impossible situations that I have just resigned myself to. I feel that light's coming again. Come on, there's a scent of water that's in the air. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? Come on. Come on, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Yeah, I shall.
Could it be? Could it be? If you're here this morning and you're facing an impossible situation, whether it's a healing in your body or salvation for a family member or even salvation for your own life, but you're facing an against all odds situation. And you don't, you maybe don't have great faith, but you've got just enough faith to say it's possible that God can work a miracle. I'm going to invite you to step out from where you're standing and come down to this altar.
The enemy meant for 